All right, well, hey, uh, good morning again. Glad to see everybody uh, gathering together. I appreciated that as uh, Pastor Matt was talking, you know, I was kind of sitting over there thinking there were some people from leftover from first service here to watch this. And the plan was they were all going to kind of leave after the baptisms. And I was sitting over there going like, man, this is going to be really interesting because like all of a sudden all these people are going to get up and walk out. And I was sitting there going like, I'm really not that bad. Like I can... I thought I can do all right. So hopefully you enjoy this. They're not leaving because it was bad by any means. Um, and hopefully you're excited, those of you that are tracking and following along and, and know what we're talking about today. We're going to be in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, if you use your phone, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, which I would encourage is there should be Bibles in front of you. In, you know, they're not on every chair, but you might be able to find a Bible uh, down underneath the chair in front of you, and you can kind of track with this and, and keep up with what we're talking about. So, we're talking about spiritual gifts today, and I am excited for this sermon for a number of reasons, but as I was putting my notes together yesterday, I was really excited because it is not very often, not very often, where I get to start a sermon with an illustration using the Avengers. And I get to do that today. Those that don't know me well enough, I am a huge Marvel, DC, that kind of fan. And so I was sitting there going like, this is going to be awesome. And I was really excited as I was typing my notes because I almost looked at my wife and I almost said, hey, wait till you hear my my illustration starting. And I was like, no, I'm going to wait until we're doing it live. And she's going to see it. I'm telling you right now, first service, I said what I just said about doing the Avengers. And you could have heard my wife not excited, give her gasp of, you're a moron. And um, she didn't say that. I'm interpreting the, the sound that came out of her, you know, the sigh. But anyways, <laughs> the Avengers. Let me, ki- let me catch you up. If you've never seen any of the Avenger movies, I'm not going to go into great detail. Those of you that have seen it, you're going to be tracking with me because you know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing. In 2012, right, was the first Avengers movie. This is where they took all of the superheroes from all the different individual movies they were doing. You know, Iron Man, Hulk, Captain America brought them all together for the first time in a, in a collaborative movie. This group of superheroes that were banding together for the same purpose to stop the evil forces taking over the world, wanting to world domination. That was the whole point of the movie. But here's the problem. For a majority of the movie, right, this, this amazing moment of all these superheroes coming together, for a majority of the movie, the problem was the team had a horrible job. They did a horrible job actually bonding themselves together, binding together. In fact, what they ended up doing for most of the movie was they were actually caught up with their own agendas. They, they actually spent more of their time in the movie bickering and, and backbiting each other, and, and none of them trusted one another. They all questioned each other's uh, motives. So there was just this constant fighting against each other before they became this team. And, and if you watch the movie, what they do a great job is, is they show you how these individual superheroes were actually elevating themselves above everybody else. It wasn't about the team. It was about them. And this assumption that their own importance was the primary thing for their success. So instead of coming together as a team and as a unit, they spent all of their time trying to show why they were the most important and they were the one that was needed to be able to be successful. It took most of the movie for them to understand that The reality is they might have been strong as individuals, but the reality was together they were actually unstoppable. See, you had these superheroes that said individually we are strong and we are powerful, but they failed to realize that united together they were actually unstoppable. And the interesting part of the movie was the the bad guy in it, the, the evil guy in it, he spent most of his time actually using their lack of unity as a way to try to destroy them. He actually used their lack of unity as a way to try to destroy them. In fact, he almost won in the movie because they failed to realize that it was when they each used their own individual gifts and abilities, that was the only way they were going to have true victory. Now, 
I said this first service, and I am still kind of baffled by it. I'm going to tell you right now, I never thought in all of my life I would ever stand up here and preach a sermon and actually quote Samuel L. Jackson. But I'm going to quote Samuel L. Jackson. Because he plays Nick Fury in the movie, and he's actually the one that brings the team together. And he says this, The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people. See if they could become something more. See if they could work together when we needed them to, to fight the battles that we never could. Now here's why I'm using that to start, because it's going to make a hopefully a lot of sense. When you watch the movie The Avengers, and if you stop and think about it, many of the things that you see in this movie, in this story, actually relate to similarities that you will see many times, unfortunately, in the church. And I'm talking about any background you might have had, you might have experienced this if you've been in churches, but unfortunately, a lot of times what we see in the churches, again, unfortunately, is sometimes what happens is you see a lot more disunity than actually unity. We see people that are more concerned with their own agendas, and we see people that are elevating themselves above others, and we're seeing people that try to show why they're most important and and try to show reasons why other people aren't as important. And you see backbiting, and you see this constant division, and we fail to realize that we might be strong as individuals, but hear me for a second. Anybody that calls themselves part of the church of Jesus Christ, we might be strong as individuals, but together... We're unstoppable. And our enemy has done a wonderful job of at times making us forget that. In fact, that's what Paul is addressing when we look at chapter 12. It might not relate. Some of us might be sitting here, well, I've never experienced that. And I'm here to tell you, I praise God for that. That is wonderful if you've never experienced that kind of division and you never experienced that kind of uh, issues in the church. But here's the thing. The church in Corinth that we're going to look at, chapter 12, this was a church that had this issue of division and they were against each other. And because they were against each other, they were actually being ineffective in the things that God wanted them to do. And it all centered around this topic of spiritual gifts. And that's what we're going to process through this morning is how Paul addresses this. And he basically is challenging the church. He's saying, would you stop being divided and instead be united? Because when you become united, you're unstoppable. Now, here's the issues that Paul is addressing. I'm just going to go through just real quick so we're all on the same page. And then we'll start digging in piece by piece through this chapter. The issues that Paul is addressing is this. There were some people in the Corinth church, right? There were some Christians in the church that were questioning their own purpose or questioning their own place in the church because they were looking at other people in the church and they were seeing how God was using them for amazing things. They were seeing how God was pouring out these very amazing gifts into these people's lives. And these other Christians were looking at them and they were questioning, even in some cases, probably their own salvation. Because they looked at how God was using others and they're saying, well, wait a minute, if God's using them in that way, but he's not using me in that way, is there a problem with me? So first thing is Paul is going to address this right off the bat in understanding like they were looking at their giftedness as evidence of their own salvation or their own place in the church. Second thing he's addressing as we go through this chapter is he's addressing the pride And an attitude of superiority that some Christians in the church were having towards others because of the gifts that God had given to them. So basically what I mean is Paul's going to address there were some Christians that were walking around going, hey, do you see the awesome gifts that we have? And they were basically being puffed up with pride, thinking it was making them special. They were more important than anybody else. They were necessary. They were superior to other Christians. And they were basically walking around with an attitude of we're better than you. We're more spiritual than you because of the gifts that we have, the way God is using us. The last thing he's going to address is how in that attitude of superiority, it wasn't just people were looking at the gifts, they were actually starting to value themselves above others. I'm better than you. 
And so there was this division in the church that all centered around spiritual gifts. And that's what Paul is going to address. Now, I want us to be all on the same page with that because we're, kind of gonna, we're not, we're not going to be all over the place, but all of these themes just kind of mix together as we go through this. But here's the thing. Paul starts chapter 12 very simply with this. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. I love how Paul starts this because when I read that statement, what I see with this, what I hear with this is Paul basically telling the church, listen, guys, you think you know what you're talking about. You think you understand spiritual gifts, but he's basically telling them you're actually ignorant and I don't want you to be ignorant. It's important for you to understand this because it's actually harming you. It's hurting you and you're not being the church the way God has called you to be the church. And so we're going to start out answering some questions together before we jump into in more in-depth through chapter 12. Because the truth of the matter is, some of us, if you knew what we were talking about today, and I know some of us are following along and we're reading the chapters before we come, some of us might have read and knew we were talking about spiritual gifts today, and you might have been excited about it. Like I had a couple people when they heard that we were doing spiritual gifts, they were like, they were super excited because they thought, hey, by the end of the sermon, you're going to explain to me what spiritual, you know, what's my spiritual gift? How has God gifted me and all that? We're going to understand these individual gifts like I'm just going to throw it out there. There's some gifts mentioned in chapter 12 that some of us get excited about. Some of us might get a little nervous about, you know, Paul's talking about things like prophecy and he's talking about healing and he's talking about speaking in tongues and he's talking about things that some of us might not have experience with in the church. These very miraculous gifts. I want to say up front, I'm not tackling any of that this morning. I'm not going to process through individual gifts. We're not going to sit here and say, let me explain to you what the gift of prophecy is. Let's explain what the gift of tongues is. Let's explain these things. Let's talk about how God uses them and all of that. That's not what Paul's talking about in chapter 12. What Paul's talking about is our attitude towards the gifts. Not the gifts specifically. He's talking about our attitude towards gifts. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning is talking about our attitude towards spiritual gifts. But Let's all start so we're on the same page and answer some questions because some of us here this morning might be like, what in the world is a spiritual gift, right? Um, and, and that's important. Let's start with that. So let's answer that question. What are spiritual gifts? One theologian says it this way. I like his definition. It's very simple, and we're going to kind of break it apart a little bit more here, but he simply says this. Spiritual gifts are gracious endowments leading to miraculous results. I'll say it again. Spiritual gifts are gracious endowments leading to miraculous results. And we're going to unpack this more as we go through the sermon where this is going to make sense. But let's just pause for a second. Let's process this just a little bit. Um, Anyone that's been in the church long enough, studied the Bible, you might have heard the fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, Fruit of the Spirit, talked about in Galatians. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible tells us that we are to like bear this fruit. This is the fruit that God wants to bring forth in our lives as Christians. To be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's what God desires is to produce this fruit in our lives. Here's why I'm bringing up fruit. Because hopefully this will, the fruit of the Spirit. Because this will help us understand gifts a little bit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., that is the life of Jesus being manifested in our lives. Okay, so what I want you to understand is love, joy, peace, patience. That is the actual life of Jesus being manifested through our lives. So Jesus wants to flow his life into your life and to flow out of you the fruit of the Spirit, through the working of Jesus Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit, living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's why I wanted to lay that foundation. If the fruit of the Spirit is the life of Jesus being manifested in your life, then the gifts of the Spirit is the work of Jesus being manifested in your life. Let's process this for a second so we're all on the same page. 
God, when anybody puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, celebrated by baptism, when we trust in Jesus, we are born again, we are made new, new creations in Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, Two things God wants to accomplish. He wants to pour his spirit out into us so that the life of Jesus is manifested in you. And he wants to pour out his spirit so that the work of Jesus is manifested in you. Gifts of the spirit is the actual work of Jesus Christ being manifested through our lives. So when I say that, think about what some of the gifts of the spirit is. Speaking truth, speaking God's truth, prophecy, healing. Right? All of these very amazing things. Loving on people, caring, ministering, that kind of stuff. This is, the, this is the gifts of the Spirit. This is Jesus and the work that he started in his life saying after he ascended to heaven, he says, my work is going to continue. I am being taken back into heaven. My work is going to continue. My work is going to be done by my church. And for my church to have victory the way that I have victory, I'm going to pour out my work into them by giving them gifts of the Spirit. It's an awesome thing when you really stop and think about it. That Jesus not just gives you his life, he empowers us to do his work. This is what spiritual gifts are. Another way of saying is this, spiritual gifts are not natural talents or abilities. Spiritual gifts are actually an empowerment. They're a spiritual empowerment to accomplish kingdom outcomes. Right? The reason I bring that up is because here's the thing. Uh, I might be able to stand up here and say, listen, I have a talent, a natural talent, an ability that I can sing all right. You know, I can sit there and say, you know, I, God has graced me with this, this ability to be able to sing. And he's blessed other people all throughout this world with the ability to sing. Here's the deal. Spiritual gifts are not natural abilities or talents. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people with the natural ability to ta- and talent to sing, but they do it never giving glory to God. So spiritual gifts are not special talents. They're not abilities that we just naturally have spiritual gifts are a spiritual empowerment directly from jesus himself through the holy spirit in order for us to do his work and this is important to understand because it gets exciting to be like god how can you use me how can you empower me so why are spiritual gifts given if that's what they are if that's what they are let's answer the question why are they given it's real simple spiritual gifts are given to build and edify the church The work that Jesus began and the work that Jesus continues to do is he's building and edifying his church. He builds his church by building us in our our maturity and in our faith and our devotion and how we serve him. But he also builds his church in bringing new people into his church, new people that have come to trust and accept Jesus. He's building and edifying his church and he does it through spiritual gifts. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, talking about spiritual gifts. He says, they are given... To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith and in in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God empowers us for that purpose, to build and edify His church. So then the last question before we jump into this in detail is who has spiritual gifts? If we understand what they are, If we understand why they're given, now who has those spiritual gifts? Hear me, because this is extremely important. Any individual here today or listening online, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again by the blood of Christ, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have been sealed with the Spirit of God, if you know that your eternal destiny is secure in Jesus Christ, you have spiritual gifts. Every single person that is a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ has spiritual gifts for the purposes of building up God's people and helping us reach to maturity. Now, here's the thing. I hope if you're a believer in Christ, that excites you in some way. I really hope it does. Because that's basically God telling you, man, I'm going to pour out my power on you. And we're going to do something amazing together. And I'm going to do it through you. And I'm going to use you with the rest of the church 
to do an amazing work in the lives of people for all eternity. Just stop for, pause for a moment and just think about this. I wonder how many of us maybe ever in our lives spend time um, questioning your own existence. You know, like, why am I even here? Does my life even matter? Like, you know, is there moments where, you know, man, what's the point of all of this? Here's the thing about spiritual gifts when you really stop and think about it. This is why you should get excited about spiritual gifts. One, your life matters because Jesus Christ created you and loves you and he saved you. That's enough right there. But number two, he's saying, yes, your life matters because I'm going to pour myself into you and I'm going to use you in amazing and powerful ways to build and edify my church. Anytime you question your worth or you question your value or you question how God can use you, you're spending your time listening to a lie of hell that's trying to show you that you don't have a very specific place and calling in God's church and in God's purpose. I'm going to say this with all grace because I know it's hard because I struggle with it at times too, but hear me, knock it off, (laughs) right? Because here's the thing, lies only have power when we choose to agree with them. And let it kind of sink in for a second. Lies only have power when we choose to agree with them. And all of that where we question whether God can use us is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And the sad part is, is many times we all fail by believing it. And that's some of the stuff Paul's going to address this morning as he goes through this. All right. Let's just jump in. We're going to skip some stuff because that was a little off my notes and that was good. So we're going to keep going with that thought. And I don't say that. Like, I'm even sitting here like, God, that was cool, man. I don't take credit for that whatsoever. Um, but I want you guys to know something when I think about this. The reason I share a lot of this stuff is because um, a lot of the stuff I'll say up here is actually stuff that I wrestle with myself. You know, and that's when God just gives that encouragement of like, no, it's a, you, you have purpose, you have place. So let's go to problem number one. Problem number one, remember, is there was a lot of Christians in the church in Corinth that were questioning even their own salvation. They were questioning, do I even have a place? Am I part of the church? Am I even important? Because they were looking at how God was using other people, and they were believing that lie that they didn't have a place in the church. And what Paul says to them is he says, let's not be ignorant. And then he says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's why this is important. Paul is addressing, again, Christians that were questioning whether they even had the Holy Spirit. Like they were seeing how God was using other people and they were looking at themselves saying, listen, I'm not out there prophesying. I'm not out there speaking in tongues. I'm not out there healing people. I'm not out there preaching the gospel in front of thousands of people. I'm not doing these things that other people are doing. So these Christians were starting to question, do we even have the spirit of God? Do we even have the Holy Spirit in the first place? Because we're not doing what everybody else is doing. And Paul starts by saying, listen, here, time out. He's like, before we move on, time out. He's like, listen, don't worry about the gifts. Stop for a second. Let's not focus on the gifts. He says, listen, if you can say and truly believe Jesus is Lord, that is only possible because you have the Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul's like stripping everything away. And he's like, listen, stop questioning your faith. Stop questioning where you're at in the church. Narrow it down to this one thing. He's like, if you can say Jesus is Lord and believe that with your entirety of who you are and your life is built on that one truth, Jesus is Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. Because no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. 
Now he's saying some other stuff here that's important because he's trying to remind them. He's, that's why he's talking about pagan worship. He's like, listen, guys, you remember back when you used to worship the pagan, you know, like you're a pagan, you didn't believe. He's like, remember when you used to chase after these mute idols, these dead idols, these, these non-existent gods? You remember how you used to do that? You remember how you used to get, you know, overly excited about it? And, and it was so, all this falsehood and you were living your life for all the wrong things. He's like, listen, remember that? He's like, but now you need to remember that's not who you are anymore. He's like, you don't chase after false gods. You don't worship pagan gods. He's like, you are a believer in the one true living God who is Jesus Christ. And the only reason that you can proclaim that he is Lord is because you are full of the Holy Spirit. So again, he's encouraging their faith. He's encouraging that if you can confess Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God. Now, he starts breaking this down into a few very important things that he's going to address throughout the rest of this chapter. He's going to talk about the unity that needs to be present in the church. We need to be unified as a church because of our spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about celebrating diversity because of our spiritual gifts. And he's going to challenge us about maturity when it comes to our spiritual gifts. So let's jump into this. If you have your Bibles, look at chapter 12, verse 4. Because notice the next thing he says. Paul says this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. I just want to pause just for a second. Look at that just for a second. What Paul is doing is he's creating the framework where he's showing us that God is awesome and God has unified us as a church, but God has also made us different in the church and we need to celebrate this. He breaks it down into three things. He says, hey, see the three ways that there's diversity He's like, isn't this awesome? He's like, there's different gifts. There's different services. There's different working. He's like, but then it's all unified too because it's the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. He's like, we should celebrate that we're different. We should celebrate that God's using us in different ways. We should celebrate that God has decided to give you different gifts than me and given me different gifts than you. Because again, when it's when we bring it all together, that the glory of God is actually seen and the power of the church is discovered when we celebrate our diversity and we also stand in unity. And this is what wasn't happening in the church at this time. And we're going to process that a little bit more, but let me just, you know, explain why we should be excited about different gifts. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I've been like this. Have you ever suffered in your Christianity um, <laughs> because you spend a lot of time in comparison of other people? Like, you kind of look at other people and you're like, man, I, I wish I could do what they do. I wish I had the gifts of what they had. I wish I could be used by God by that. Obviously, that's what's happening here is, is this, Paul's like, not, stop the comparison and making yourself out to be less and stop the comparison and making yourself out to be more. Because that, that was what was happening here. And Paul's like, let's celebrate the fact that there's different gifts, different service, different workings, but it's all under the lordship and the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, I was, I was joking and, uh, during first service, I mentioned this, and I'll, I'll say it again because it's a great analogy. I love to sing. I've been singing ever since I was a little kid, um, doing it in church my entire life, leading worship in different ways, in different contexts. Um, I was saying, Rob, who's our guitarist over here, that's not here now, but I'm pointing like he's there, um, but Rob... Uh, one of the first times I met Rob, we were here at the church, actually, and, and we were talking about music, and, and I was telling him a song that I really like to sing, and, and I was like, he's like, well, what key do you like to sing it in? Now, I want you to understand something. Musically, I can sing. That's all I know. I don't know music. I don't know. I know dots go up and dots go down, right? That's it. I, I know that, right? And there's lines, and there's just weird stuff. That's all I know, okay? Um, I sing. That's all I do. And uh, Rob, was, he looks at me, he's like, well, what key is it in? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, and he starts, he starts talking this music jargon to me. I'm like, dude, I sing. That's it. Like, so he's like, well, start singing it. And so I started singing the song. And Rob looks at me. He's got his guitar. And he looks at me while I'm singing. And he's like, oh, okay. And while I'm singing, he just starts playing. Like the dude could hear the key, knew the notes, 
starts playing. Next thing you know, we're singing the, I mean, we're doing the whole song together. He's playing, I'm singing, it's a great moment, I'm loving it, it's like this amazing moment. I walked away from that kind of jealous, envious. I was like, man, God, it'd be awesome to be able to do what Rob does. I want to be able to do what Rob does. Why can't I do what Rob does? And you know what God reminded me of? He's like, David, knock it off. You don't need to worry about what Rob does. Worry about what you do. Worry about you. I'll use Rob the way I want to use Rob. I'll use you the way I want to use you. Don't worry about the gifts you don't have. Celebrate the gifts you do have because there's different gifts, different service, different workings, all for the glory of me. That's what Paul's laying down here is he's saying, listen, let's not be succumb to jealousy or envy or division because of how God has chosen to use us. Let's celebrate how God has chosen to use us and then let's use those gifts. Again, for the glory of God. All right, so talking about unity, Paul then goes on. He says in verse 7, we're going to point out a few things, some truths that he throws out there that I think are important for us to understand this a little bit better. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Two truths I want you to get from that one sentence. Here they are. First one is this. Spiritual gifts are given by God himself. They're given by the Holy Spirit, right? You do not give yourself these gifts. The church does not give you these gifts. Pastors do not give you this gift, these gifts. Your parents did not determine your gift. The Holy Spirit of God gives you his gifts, right? They come from him. Second truth, they are given for the common good, meaning they are not given to show how good we are. Like, oh, I had no problems with this at all for service, and now it will not stop falling off. Um, so anyways, gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, but again, they are not given for you. They are not given for your edification. They are not given for your glory. They are not given for any other purpose but this, for the common good. The common good is the service of other people. God gives you gifts first for his glory and then for you to be used to serve other people. Skip down to verse 11. The next truth I want you to see here is all of these works are one and of the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So not only does he give the gifts, not only does he give them for the common good, the third truth I want you to understand by what Paul's saying is, is this. He determines what gift you have. You and I do not get to look at a menu and pick the gifts that we want. You and I do not get to get a gift from God and say, eh, didn't really want this one. I'd like to trade it in for a new one, Right? He determines the gifts. He determines how he wants them to be used. You and I do not get to do that. This is important to understand because I've had a struggle with this in my own life because there are times that I want to try to step into gifts that God has not given to me. And anytime you try to step into a gift that God has not given to you, guess what's going to happen? Frustration. You're not going to be effective. You're going to get angry. You're going to get stressed. And eventually, if it's bad enough, you're just going to give up. The Spirit of God gives it, determines how it's used, and determines which ones we get. The last thing is, I'm not going to look at it, but the other thing is, in between those two verses, between 7 and 11, Paul kind of runs through some gifts. He gives some examples of some gifts. He says things like, to one is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge, uh, to one faith, to another uh, given healing, and all of these things. He's listing these gifts. Paul's listing those gifts, again, not for you to try to pick which ones you want. He's giving those gifts because he's trying to get us to understand there's a lot of gifts, but there's one God. Again, he's not trying to get you like, oh, which one do I have? Do I have this? No, do I have, I want that one. That's not the point. He's saying, understand the truth. There are many gifts, but there's one God. The same spirit, he says it over and over again. The same spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit. But different gifts, different gifts, different gifts. We're going to see the importance of that here in a moment because Paul's going to start going into the next section of this chapter, which I know some of us might be like, there's a lot left for us to go through, but this is going to go quick because he has two main points he's going to make in the next section. Paul is addressing that spiritual gifts are meant to unify us, but they're also meant to be diverse. There's many of them. And he starts the next section by saying, let me give you an example that's going to help you understand this. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an illustration that's going to help you understand what I'm talking about. And he starts talking about a body. He says, listen, we are the body of Christ. 
He says, I'm going to use this example to help us understand this. So he says this. First thing he says. He says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So let's go back to what I said. Paul is addressing, there were Christians in the church that were trying to remove themselves and their importance from being part of the body because they looked at other people and said, I can't do what they do. So obviously, if I can't do what they do, I don't have a place or a purpose in the mission and the ministry of the church. They were trying to find reasons to say, I can't, I don't have those gifts. I don't have those abilities. So obviously God can't use me. Here's the thing. Again, lie from the pit of hell. Because, hear me on this, Christian, disciple of Jesus Christ. One of the number one things that the enemy wants us to do as Christians is to become inactive and not participate with the mission of the church. Hear me on this. There is no such spiritual gift as a chair filler. But that's what he wants. He wants us to disengage. He wants us to not get involved for whatever reason. Don't get me wrong. There are many reasons that this might happen. Maybe we had church hurt or something happened or we tried to use our gifts and something came against us and we were broke. Whatever it is, we tried. Nobody would let it. I don't know what the thing is, but the thing he wants us to do is to find a reason to say, hey, I'm not a hand, so I can't be part of the body. I don't have a worth or a value or a place. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Paul goes on, he says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? I want you to hear a truth here that Paul is saying. Listen to me real quick. If anybody ever struggles with the place and the value and the worth that you have in the church and how God can use you, hear me on this one important thing this morning. Paul just told you that God has placed you right where he wants you. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. God has placed you where he wants you. And hear me on this. He has empowered you to accomplish, to accomplish all that he's asking of you. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, please realize that he has placed you, he has gifted you, and he has empowered you to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in and through your life. A truth that kind of hit me with this as I was processing it is simply this, and this is an encouragement to us as completely as a body, and, and it's simply this. The church is never lacking, and the church is never complete. Let me explain what I mean by that. The church is never lacking, but the church is never complete. I want you to realize, if you call Blessed Hope Community Church your home church, right? So I'm talking to you if this is your home church, or if you go to a different church and you're just visiting today, think about this at your home church. If this is your church today, right now, this day, this Sunday, Our church does not lack a single thing that we need to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. He has empowered every single one of us for exactly what we need to accomplish the mission that he has for us to accomplish today. That's where I'm saying the church is never lacking. We can never sit back and say, oh, if we just had this. Oh, if we just had this type of person with this type of gift. Oh, if we... Today, we have everything we need to be used by God for what he has for today. Now, when I say the church is not complete, here's the deal. Tomorrow, God might have something else asked of us to accomplish tomorrow. So he's always bringing new people into his church because he's going to say, church, I know what I have for you. I know what I want from you. I know who I need to bring to you so that when that moment comes, you're not lacking then either. The reason many times the church feels like it's lacking is not because we don't have the people we need and not because we don't have the gifts that we need. It's because the enemy has fooled us into not stepping in and using our gifts. That's why it feels like we're lacking at times. 
It's not because we don't have what we need. It's because we've been tricked into not stepping into it and using it for the glory of God. So the first thing Paul is saying is this. He's saying, don't doubt your place or importance in the church. If anybody here this morning is part of this church and you doubt your importance and your place, I encourage you to step into the truth of what God says and not let the enemy fool you into thinking you do not have an important place in the body of God. Maybe you haven't found it yet or stepped into it, but it's not because it's not there. So never doubt your place or your importance. The second thing then Paul goes into is he says, he goes to another part of this analogy and he says, now the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. So Paul is saying this, First, don't doubt your place in the church. The second thing he's saying is, don't you dare ever doubt the importance and the place of another believer. No Christian can ever say and look at another believer in the church and say, you know what? I have all the stuff that I need. I'm gifted the way I need to be gifted. I don't need you to be successful. I don't need you to fulfill the mission that God has for me. I don't need you to live out my gift. Now, Here's the thing. I knew today that I was going to be singing and preaching at both services, which is going to be tiring. But for some reason, I thought it would be a smart idea to stay up until about midnight last night because I started watching a movie that I couldn't stop watching. Ford versus Ferrari. Anybody ever seen it? It's a great movie. Ford versus Ferrari. Great movie. Never seen it. Started watching it. I was like, I'll finish it tomorrow. And then stupid me is like, I can't stop watching it. So we're just going to go with it. Here's why I'm bringing it up. If you've never seen the movie, it's a true story about Carol Shelby and Ken Miles. So Carol, Carol Shelby and Ken Miles. These two were responsible in the 60s for building one of the greatest race cars that has ever existed. That's what the whole movie is about, is them building this amazing and awesome race car and them taking that and Ken driving it. And just this, he's an amazing driver and it's just an awesome story. Amazing story. As I'm watching this movie, here's the thought that kept going through my mind as I was thinking about the sermon, is... Here's these two men that if you are a race car fan, if you're a racing fan, if you love cars, it, you know, I'm not even those things and I know who these guys are, right? And, and they're celebrated, right? They're exalted. They're in the hall of fame. They're like, people know who this race car driver is and they know who this car designer is. People know who they are. They get all the praise. But what went through my mind as I'm watching this movie and they're being celebrated in this movie is I'm like, you know what? There's a whole lot of people that did a whole lot of work that nobody will ever even recognize, that we wouldn't even know their names. We wouldn't know Shelby's name. We wouldn't know uh, Ken Miles' name. This movie never would have been made if all those people didn't do all that work behind the scenes that nobody's ever going to pay attention to. I'm watching this movie, right? It ends with this big race at the end. That's the whole point of the movie is this big race at the end and I'm watching it and, and, and the drivers are getting all the accolades. They're giving all the praise. They're the most amazing. They're, they're noticeable and they're celebrating. I'm like, you know what though? He never would have won that race if it wasn't for all those guys that are out there changing the car, or changing the tires, fixing the car, putting the gas in, the guy washing the windshield. I'm like, that dude never would have won that race if it wasn't for all these people. And then I got to thinking about them building the car for like two years. I'm like, there's all these people that worked on that car and did all this stuff on the car. And you never, you'll never know those, their names. They're not getting a movie made about them. They're the extras in the background. But all the success that's being celebrated in the movie wasn't possible if it wasn't for all the work that was done by people that went unnoticed. This is what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, listen, in the church, we don't celebrate the people that are up, up front like they're doing all the work. He's like, because the people that are up front that are noticeable and they're doing all the work, they wouldn't even be able to do all that work if it wasn't for a whole long list of people doing a whole bunch of other stuff that'll never get noticed on this side of eternity. He's like, there is stuff that is getting done constantly and those are the people that we treat with special honor. He's like, church, stop it. Stop celebrating the public people. Stop exalting the people that are on TV and the people that just seem like they're the popular ones. They have the greatest giftings and all those. He's like, stop it. The people that deserve the most honor are the people that you'll never notice because they're doing things that are behind the scenes. 
He's like, because they're the ones that are preparing the platform for these things that you can see to actually happen. That's what Paul's saying. So here's the thing. Many times the enemy wants us to get in there and think, well, I can't be effective in sharing God with people because I'm not gifted to be able to preach. I can't teach. I can't get up and talk. I can't do none of those things. That's not the way God's gifted me. Stop that. Because the most powerful thing is not what happens necessarily up here on the stage. It's how God uses you in your everyday lives as you use your gifts with the people in the community, in your family, in your jobs, whatever it is, to bring glory to God. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, you can't exalt one and not realize it's the other. Go on, he says this. He says, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Here's the thing. Anybody here, I I shared this before. I have always been the upfront person when it comes to church ministry, singing, leading, pastoring, preaching, all of that kind of stuff. My wife, I love the fact that God, she realized this at a very early time in our time together in ministry. She will say flat out, I am the behind the scenes person. She's like, I, I, I want nothing to do up front. I don't want to be noticed. I don't want to be seen. I don't want any, like, she's like, nope, not doing it. Can I tell you something? Some of us might be that kind of person too, but sometimes we feel like, oh, but it's not as important as everybody else. Can I tell you something? Just because you maybe never get a good job on this side of eternity, can I tell you the one person that's noticing everything you're doing when you're using your gift? Jesus. So we use our gifts not for the praise of man. We use our gifts for the praise of God. And there will come a day that anybody here, when you use your gifts in private or you're not showing, I mean, they're not showy, they're none of those things, but you're stepping into the power that God has given you to do the ministry that he has called you to do. There will come a day that you will stand before God and he will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You thought all the stuff you were doing was of no value, but I'm telling you it was the most valuable thing that ever was. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, never doubt the importance of somebody else. Never lessen the way that God is calling you to be used. Never look at somebody and say, their ministry is not as important as mine because it's all important because it's gifts given by God for the glory of God, for the purposes of God. And we need to celebrate that. I just want to give you this as we think about this before we move and close is simply this. This one other is we need to create a culture where we celebrate one another and we actually suffer with one another. And what I mean by that is um, Dean Smith is one of the greatest coaches, basketball coaches, coached uh, North Carolina, Dean Smith. Dean Smith a long time ago created a culture in his team where he started telling his players, he mandated, he said, listen, during a game, if you get the ball and you score, the first thing you're going to do after you score is you're going to look at the guy that passed you the ball and you're going to point at him. Because you're going to acknowledge that you wouldn't have been able to score that point if they hadn't have passed you the ball. He's like, we're going to create a culture where we start thanking one another and recognizing one another and saying, you know what? That was because I, I couldn't have done that without you. So that started. And then Dean Smith, like, we're going to take it up a notch. He's like, new culture. Like, we're going to add to this culture. He's like, you know what? This is kind of dumb. He's like, I expect you to point even if you miss the shot. Because your attitude needs to be, I didn't even have the opportunity to make, try to make that shot if it wasn't for you. So he's like, I don't care if you make it or miss it. You miss it, you still point and say, thank you. I'm recognizing what you did. I'm recognizing how you were part of this. That culture continued and continued to the point that they were actually doing this even in practices. They're in practice. They're playing and scrimmaging. Take a shot. They're pointing at one another. They're acknowledging one another. That's what Paul is ultimately saying here. He's saying, listen, we should be so united and so excited about our different gifts and how they all work together that when we succeed, we should celebrate together. When I get to see you you use your gift, I should rejoice in you being able to use your gift. I should be excited for how God has used you and your gift. Instead, what happens is the enemy wants us to like, oh man, and they're getting all the praise, or they're getting all the, I want some of that. It's like, Paul's like, don't do that. Celebrate with one another. Suffer with one another, because you're united together in all of this.
We're going to close it with this. Paul ends this with simply saying this. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, different kinds of tongues. All are, are, are all apostles, all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. I want to simply end with this. The last thing that Paul, through this entire thing, is challenging us to be unified, be diverse, but our goal is to pursue maturity. And that's what he's saying. He's like, strive for the greater gifts. He's not saying this because some great gifts are more important than others. He's not saying, hey, you don't have the best gifts, so keep striving for the greater gifts. What he's saying is simply this. As believers in Jesus Christ, our attitude should be like this, constantly before God. Lord, here's your servant. Use me however you want to use me. Right? Simply as that, Lord. I, whatever gift you want to give me to use, give me that gift. If you choose not to give it to me, praise God, that's not what I'm meant to do. But Lord, I am striving for the greater gifts. And the greater gift is to simply be a submissive servant in the hands of God that says, Lord, use me however you want to use me. That's it. And I'm going to celebrate when God uses you how he chooses to use you. Because we know we're doing this together because we're a united team that when we're united, we're unstoppable. The last thing Paul says, last sentence, is he says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I, set that, I say that because the next week we're going to took, look at chapter 13, the love chapter. Do you know the problem with the love chapter? Let me, show of hands, just real quick, show of hands. Anybody here have the love chapter included in their wedding ceremony? Anybody? <laughs> okay, not a bad thing. We had it in ours. But here's the problem. The love chapter has nothing to do with romantic love. The love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, that's the greater thing. That's the excellent way. That's actually talked about, Paul is talking about that in the context of spiritual gifts and the unity of the church. And he says, listen, all that matters at the end of the day as a church and as individuals, we are called to pursue love. That's it. Pursue love. It's the most important thing. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your time with us this morning, that you uh, poured yourself out in our worship. And I, I pray you were honored with it, Lord. I pray that you were pleased with the sacrifice that we gave and the way that we exalted your name. Lord, I think back even when we, the singing and we were proclaiming victory. I pray that there's victory this morning for someone here. This, uh, whatever it is that we might be just needing you to, to give assurances or confidence or to show that way as we proclaimed you are the way maker. I pray you give us the boldness to step out and to follow you wherever you're leading. Lord, let these not just simply be songs that we sing, but actual truth that we establish our lives on to say, Lord, you are the promise keeper, and you are the way maker, and I'm going to step out, and I'm going to let you fight for me as I surrender to you, and I trust you. And with that, let us surrender and put ourselves in your hands to say, Lord, however you want to use me. Lord, however you want to use me. Your servant is in your hands. Lord, bestow upon me whatever gift is valuable to you. Bestow upon me whatever gift is worthy of your church and how you want to use me for the ministry that you have for us to mature and edify and build up the church. Lord, let that, let that be our desire as we love one another, we serve one another, and we be used for your work, Jesus, in our community. We give you praise in all of it. And I pray a special blessing upon us all as we go through this week. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Go in peace.